Because cars are coming, and they're coming very fast. Which means that you have to make the adjustment because they have the right of way. The same thing can be said about God. He has the right of way when it comes to our lives. And just like going into the highway, God is moving with his plans for our lives, but we must merge. We have to be the one to make the adjustment in our lives. We are the one that have to blend into whatever God is already doing. Because understand this, because it means that our actions and our, and our plans must yield to the will of God in our lives above ourselves and above our own will. The condition to experience more of God and the fullness of his blessings can only come when we give God the right of way and surrender our lives. And tonight we're going to talk about a very uncomfortable and a very unpopular but necessary subject, and that is surrender. But before we get right deep into the subject, let me share this with you. There was an atheist who believed that every Christian that he knew was crazy. Now, to him, they weren't crazy because they believed in God. But he believed that they were crazy because they claimed to believe in God, but weren't serious about their walk with the Lord and weren't serious about their efforts for eternity. And the point that he was trying to make is simply this, that if they believe, if what they believe is true, they mean Christians, then why do they live life as though it's not true? And family, if this is how the world views us as Christians, then it's time that we take God seriously, and it's, very t- it's time that we um, take our walk with God more seriously. I don't mean that we're going to quit our jobs and leave our families and join the missions field. I'm not talking about uh, giving up laughing and joking and, and, and having fun. But what I am saying is that we need to start making a concerted effort and put more attention to our walk with the Lord. We ought to consider our walk with God and our relationship with God to the uttermost importance and priority more than anything else in the face of this planet. Because we do not want to be viewed as crazy. But we want to be viewed as people of God who serve God. But the only way that can be done is if we give way to God and make him Give him the right of way. And that's the title of this message. God has the right of way. So, I want you to go to Philippians chapter 2. Listen to what Paul says. Because in order for us to achieve our spiritual goal and our spiritual purpose, we have to surrender to God and to the Holy Spirit in order to accomplish the goal that he has for us. Listen to what Paul says, and I want to read this to you from the Amplified Version. It says this, not in your own strength. It is God, not man, not science, not uh, social media, not Google, but God, who is all the while doing what? Effectually working in you. Doing what? 
energizing and creating in you the power and the desire. That is the ability and the passion to do what? Both to will and to work for his good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. But he says, not in your own strength. Because it's going to take all of God to help us to carry out his will. But only when we surrender and give God the right of way into our lives. So when we talk about yielding, like we yield to traffic in the highway, we're talking about giving God the right of way into our lives. We're talking about surrendering our lives, surrendering our will, surrendering our spirit, surrendering our thoughts. When we yield to God, we are surrendering all control of our lives. And again, when you think about that, giving control of your life, we don't like to give control of anything. But that word surrender is actually a battle term. It implies giving up all rights to your enemy or to the conqueror. Let me give you an example. Go to 1 Kings chapter 20. Here we read the story in verse 1 where the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad, gathered all of his forces together and th- along with 32 kings with horses and chariots, which is a formidable foe. And he goes on to say, and we went, he went up and besieged Samaria and made war against it. And in verse 2 says this, Then he sent messengers into the city of Ahab, king of Israel, and he said to him, Thus says Ben-Hadad, Your silver and your gold are mine, and your loveliest wives and children are mine. Now what the king of Syria is simply saying is this. Everything that belongs to you now belongs to me. Your throne, your kingdom, your people, your wealth, even your family belongs to me. Now, this is the response for the king of Israel, King Ahab. Look at verse 4. And he says this, and the king of Israel answered and said, my Lord, O king, just as you say, I and all that I have are yours. So we see that there's not much resistance at all from the king of Israel. But what he did was simply surrender everything. He surrendered all rights to his throne, to his kingdom, to his people, his wealth, including his family and himself. He says, I and all that I have is yours. When was the last time you told God, I and all that I have are yours, Lord? You don't have to show hands, but this is between you and God. But that's what we're talking about when we talk about surrender. We're talking about yielding everything that you have, everything that you are. And unfortunately, not many believers have, have this attitude towards God. There are not many believers who get up in the morning on a daily basis and say, Lord, I and all that I have are yours. In order to maximize the power of God in our lives, we must give God the right of way into our lives. Because listen, when we surrender our lives to God, it simply means following God's lead without knowing where he's taking us. Let me say that again. When we surrender our lives to God, it means following God's lead without knowing where he's taking us. Let me give you an example of that. Go to Hebrews chapter 11 and in verse 8. In Genesis 12 verse 1, God appears to Abraham for the first time. And he tells Abraham, Abraham, pack your bags, 
pick up your family and come and follow me because I've got a land that I want to show you. So he picks up and leaves, gathers all his family and all his belongings, and he follows God. But look what Hebrews 11, 8 says. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he, had, when he was called to go out into the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. For Abraham to obey God, a God that he never knew, a God that he met for the first time, who's telling him, give up everything, leave everything, get your family, and come and I'm going to take you somewhere. I can't even imagine what he would say to his friends and his family when they say, well, where are you going? Where are you taking your family? All he can say was, well, I don't know. There's this God that I don't know who's going to take me somewhere that I don't know. But he had to surrender everything in order for him to do that. In order to obey God, he had to surrender everything. He had to give God the right of way. Even though he didn't know where he was going. When we surrender our lives to God, it means waiting for God's timing without knowing when it will come. Now, all through the Bible, we're instructed to wait on the Lord, but never with a definite timetable. When God, I mean, when Abraham cried out to God saying, Lord, I want a son. God says, I'm going to promise you a son. You shall have a son. And matter of fact, you can have a son through your wife, Sarah, who is barren. The problem was that God made a promise, but he never gave him a timetable. And the Bible says that he waited 20 years before he got his son. When we surrender to God, when we surrender our lives to God, it means waiting for God's timing without knowing when it will come. When we surrender our lives to God, it also means expecting a miracle without knowing how God will provide. And it leads me to the story in Genesis chapter 22. Why don't you go there? The story where, Abra- where God told Abraham, I want, to, I want your son to be a sacrifice for me. Now keep in mind, this was his only son who he loved very much. This was a miracle boy. And God made a promise concerning this boy that through Isaac, a great nation will come forth. So it confused Abraham and he didn't understand why God would take his only son and offer him up as a sacrifice. Especially when God made him a promise that through him, a great nation will come forth. A great nation cannot come forth through Isaac if he's dead. God cannot keep his promise if Isaac is dead. So, but nonetheless, Abraham gets up in the morning, takes his son, packs up his bag and heads out to Mount Moriah to offer his son as a sacrifice. Even though he did not know how all this was going to play out. And so in Genesis chapter 2, in verse 7, Isaac noticed that Abraham had everything for the sacrifice except the sacrifice itself. He says, Dad, I notice that you have the fire and I know that you have the wood. But where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And in verse uh, 8, Abraham says this, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. Now, the fact that he made this statement tells me one thing, his confidence in God. Because he knew what God had promised him. He knew that, that his son was going to be a special son. He knew that the promise that God had about his son <coughs> 
was something that was going to take place. But he knew that the only way that that promise would take place is if his son was alive. The Bible says that Abraham believed God who was able to raise the dead and call those things that be not as though they were. It also says that Abraham was fully persuaded that what God promised, God will perform. So Abraham had all the confidence in the world that God was going to provide somehow, some way, that he's going to work all this out, even though he did not understand it. Yet he was able to surrender and give God the right of way into his life, into his son. And then in, in, in Hebrews 11 verse 19, it even goes on to say that Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died... That God will raise him from the dead. In other words, if it come to the point where he had to kill his son as a sacrifice, he knew that God was able to raise him up in order to keep the promise that God had made for Isaac. So both he and his son climb up the mountain. And again, not knowing how all this is going to work, but knew that God was going to work something out. But as they were walking up the mountain, on one side of the mountain, a ram was climbing up the other side of the mountain as a sacrifice that God was already providing for them. And Abraham didn't know that. But it didn't matter because he surrendered everything to God. Because he believed that God was going to work this out somehow, some way. Surrendering our lives to God means expecting a miracle without knowing how God will provide. When we talk about surrendering our lives to God, it means to relinquish. It means to give up. It means to lay down. It means to let go. It means to give up. It means to renounce. It means to abdicate or step down. One good example of that is Paul. Go with me to Philippians chapter 3. Paul was a man who had such a passion for the Lord. He had such a passion that he was willing to give up and renounce everything that he had. He was able to give up his reputation, his standing in the community. He was able to give up all of his accomplishments. In Philippians chapter 3, as a matter of fact, he talks about all of his accomplishments and his position in the community uh, several uh, verses prior to this uh, 7 and 8. But then he gets to verse 7 and he says this. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Verse 8 says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything. I have let go of everything. I have renounced everything. I have laid aside and laid down everything. I have let go of everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Paul had standing in the community. Paul had a reputation. Paul was respected. Paul was recognized. Paul had authority. But he realized that all that was nothing when he came to Christ. And he realized that Christ was far better. Paul was willing to give up and abdicate his position, his reputation, and even his standing in the community for something that was far greater. And that's the Lord Jesus himself. Amen. And here's the trouble that so many believers are so afraid to give up anything. 
They're afraid to, to surrender everything because they feel that if they've given up everything, that they're getting nothing back in return. But that's not how God operates. You see, whatever God is trying to get you to surrender, it is not to leave you high and dry, but to replace whatever it is that you've given up for something that's far better and something that's far greater value. God guarantees that. Paul thought he had it all until he met Christ and realized he had nothing at all. Sometimes we cherish things, possessions, houses, careers, and we think that that is something. We think that it is of great value, and maybe it is. But my friends, when you meet up with Christ, when you have a personal experience with Jesus, you find out that there's nothing greater than the Lord Jesus himself. Because the Lord Jesus is everything. There's nothing in this world that is greater than the Lord Jesus himself. Which leads me to this question. Are you willing to renounce? Are you willing to give up? Are you willing to lay down? Are you willing to abdicate or step down from the throne of your life and allow God the right of way into your life and into your home and into your heart? And that's a question that only you can answer. But I know that you'll agree with me when I tell you that surrendering is not an easy thing. How many of you agree with that? It's not an easy road to travel. It becomes even difficult when uh, a challenge for us when we find that we have to give God the right of way into our lives. But it's like the story of the chicken and the pig. Have you heard the story of the chicken and the pig? Well, let me be the first to tell you if you haven't heard it. But there's a story about this chicken and a pig who's walking down the road. And uh, as they were walking down the road, they passed by this grocery store. And they noticed that in the window of the grocery store, there's a big old sign that says, Bacon and eggs desperately needed. And so the chicken turns to the pig and the pig turns to the chicken and the chicken says, you know what? I think we can help the grocer. The chicken says, I'll contribute some eggs and you can contribute the bacon. And the pig looks at the chicken and says, you must be crazy. You must be out of your mind. And the chicken says, well, what are you talking about? And the pig says to the chicken, well, all you have to do is give a contribution. But I have to give up the whole thing. One of the reasons why it's so difficult for us to surrender to God is because it's going to cost us something. Some of you who are, uh, what is that word, honey, you like to use? Um, frugal, right? Those of you who are frugal don't like to spend money, but like to stretch your money, like to save money. So when something costs something, you don't want to spend it. When it comes to surrendering to God, sometimes it's going to require something. It's going to cost you something. Surrendering to God sometimes means tearing down your kingdom so that God can build his. But it's a daily choice that we have to make. It, it is a, a daily journey for all believers to surrender because God is requiring something each day of our lives. Yet so many of us are not comfortable with that. We're comfortable 
when we accept Jesus as Savior, but many of us still want to be Lord of our, of our lives rather than letting Jesus be Lord over our lives. And, but that's just the way it is because people are afraid to give up anything. Surrender means to give up something that we don't want to give up. Do you have something that you love and don't want to part with? Many of us probably have something we don't want to part with. But imagine if God came to you and visited you and says, I want you, I want that from you. In the same way he visited Abraham and says, I want you to offer your son as a sacrifice. What if God came into your house and says, I need your car. I need your phone. I want your house. I want your iPad. Whatever it is that you hold dear, whatever it is you hold of great value, what if Jesus came and asked for it? Would you give it up? If I was to come into your house and tell you, give me your car, would you give it to me? Probably not. But if Jesus did, would you give it up? Surrendering to God means it costs you something. Surrendering to God can sometimes also mean, or I should say, when we surrender to God, sometimes it can be a painful experience. Go with me to Romans chapter 12. Look at verse 1. And I'm going to read this to you from the Amplified Version. Romans 12 verse 1 says this. I appeal to you therefore, brethren, and beg of you, in view of all the mercies of God, to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all of your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service, rational, intelligent service, and spiritual worship. Paul was making appeal, actually he was begging and pleading the church to present their bodies as a living sacrifice. The same appeal that Paul made to the church in Rome is the same appeal that applies today. That appeal also applies to the church in this day. God is requiring our bodies as a living sacrifice for his use. God wants to use our bodies. God wants us to present our bodies as a sacrifice. He wants us to dedicate our bodies. That means to keep to separate, to be separate and set apart for one thing, one thing only. And that is to serve God. And the greatest example of that was Jesus. He presented his body as a sacrifice. Go to Matthew chapter 26. No one knows more than Jesus what it means to surrender. In Matthew 26 in verse 36, Jesus says this. Oh, the story goes, then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. And he took Peter and the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. Then he told them, my soul is crushed and grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Verse 39. Then he went on a little farther and bowed with with his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it is possible, let the cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. 
So we see here that surrendering to God is not an easy thing. Not even for Jesus because he struggled. And he was full of anguish when it came to surrendering his life. He even prayed, Lord, if you can take this cup of suffering from me. So if it's difficult for Jesus, it's also difficult for us. The Bible says that he was crushed with grief to the point of death. That he was filled with distress and, and, and grieving and in anguish. And the reason why is because Jesus knew what he was about to face. Jesus knew what the prophecies were concerning his death. Jesus understood the horrors of the crucifixion. Jesus understood the brutality of the Roman government when it comes to treatment of criminals. He also knew that he would die a criminal's death. So you can understand why Jesus felt the way he felt. You can understand why he struggled to surrender his body as a sacrifice. And understand this, Jesus not only faced a physical suffering, which is horrific in itself, but what was even worse was the fact that he had to suffer spiritually because it meant carrying the burdens of the sins of the world and being separated from God because God could not stand in the presence of sin. And then suffering for the penalties, suffering the punishment for sin that he had to carry from the world. So Jesus knew exactly what it means to suffer. And even though he suffered or experienced a moment of human weakness and, and emotion, and even though he cried out hoping that there's some other way, yet Jesus would never disrespect or rebel or deny the will of God. But he humbly surrendered himself to carry out the mission that he was set out to do. Even in verse 42 in Matthew 26, he uh, reaffirmed his willingness to surrender when he said in verse 42, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. In other words, Lord, if there's no other way to save the world except through my death, then so let it be. Jesus placed his very life in God's hands at that moment, trusting that all things will work together for his good and for the good of the world. Sometimes surrendering to God can be a painful experience. But imagine if Jesus denied the Lord. Imagine if he said, no, Lord, I'm not doing this then there would be no body to be presented as a sacrifice. And if there's no body for a sacrifice, then there's no sacrifice for sin. And without a sacrifice for sin, God's purpose would not be fulfilled and the world would not be saved. And all of mankind will still be lost with no hope. But because of Jesus' willingness to yield to God's plan of salvation by offering his body as painful as it was, because he knew that it would save the world. And because of that, he became not only the savior of the world, but he also became Lord of all. Family, God requires every member of the church to present their bodies as a living sacrifice 
simply to fulfill his purpose on this earth. He wants your body as a vessel. He wants your body as an instrument, as a part of his divine plan. And understand this. God has a right to your body. The scripture says that our bodies are not ours, but the temple of the Holy Spirit. Which is his. He says that we are not our own. Why? Because we were bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. So he has every right to our body. And we have every reason to give it up. <clears throat> However, without a body that is dedicated and surrendered to God for his purpose, God cannot express his purpose. He cannot express his plans. He cannot express his power. He cannot express his will because he has no body to express it through. Because we refuse to present our bodies for him. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15. This is what it says. Because when you give up yourself as a living sacrifice, then you leave room for God to be himself in us. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says this. He, meaning Jesus, died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer what? Live for themselves, but what? Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. That's our purpose. To live no longer for ourselves. But allow God the right of way into our lives. And live for him. One other reason why it is such a difficult time for Christians to submit and surrender their lives. Is because there's a lack of trust. There's a trust issue. Surrendering our lives to God means trusting God's purpose and plans without understanding the circumstances. When we surrender control and let go of our plans, we're letting God, God's will to, to live in and, and, and flow through every aspect of our lives. Oh, but only if we allow him. You understand this. As much as God wants to be a part of your life, as much as God wants us to surrender, God's not going to take us by force. He wants us to use our will to invite him and allow him to be a part of our lives. God wants us to, and I think this is for somebody here this, uh, this evening and maybe for those that are watching. But listen, God wants us to trust him with the areas of our lives that we don't want to give to him. And I believe that there are some things that we have that we don't want to give up. And perhaps maybe God has already been speaking to your heart about it. Perhaps God is telling you you need to give up an unhealthy relationship. Perhaps God is telling you that it's time to give up uh, some of your time. Maybe God is telling you that it's time for you to part ways with some sinful activity in your life. Or maybe God is telling you to sacrifice the one thing that you love the most. What is it that God is requiring of you? But absolute surrender requires absolute trust. God's grace takes care of the rest. But there's still so many people who still lack this trust. And I'll show you an example. Go to Isaiah chapter 30, beginning in verse 1. Here is an example of Israel who has some trust issues and didn't want to surrender complete trust to God, but rather gave trust to others. 
So God called them out. And in chapter 30, verse 1, it says this. What sorrow awaits my rebellious children, says the Lord. You make plans that are contrary to mine. You make alliances that are directed by my spirit. Thus piling up your sins. Verse 2. For without consulting me, you have gone down to Egypt for help. You have put your trust in Pharaoh's protection, and you've tried to hide in his shade. But by trusting Pharaoh, you'll be humiliated, and by depending on him, you'll be disgraced. By trusting others rather than God means that you've allowed the right of way to someone else into your life and into your circumstances. When you trust others rather than God, you're shutting God out of your life. You know, it's like when you hire a contractor to put up the windows in your house. And you have all the windows out in the lawn ready to be put up. And you hire the contractor and the contractor comes in to ready to put up the windows. You say, you know what? I'm not quite ready to, to put up those windows. So why don't you come back next week? So he goes, he comes back a week later. And you say, I, I don't think I'm ready for those windows to go up just yet. Why don't you come back in a couple of weeks? Contractor leaves and comes back a couple of weeks. And you say, you know what? I don't think I'm ready to do this just yet. And why don't you come back in another month? Every time you do that, you're shutting the contractor out. And the contractor cannot put up the windows in your house. The contractor can't come into your house and fix things. When we trust others and not God, we're shutting him in out. And then the question is, how can God come into your life and fix the things in your life? How can he fix your mind? How can he fix your heart? How can he fix your spirit if you're shutting him out because you don't trust him enough? When we don't trust God, we're, giving him, we're not giving him the right of way. But when we trust others, we're giving them. Whoever we put our trust in, we're giving them the right of way. But look at what else God says. Go to the next chapter in Isaiah 31 and verse 1. He says, woe or unhappy or unfortunate to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are strong, but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. When I read that, it tells me that God wants us to cry out to him and seek him for help, to seek him for advice, to seek him for counsel. But he wants us to trust him to do that. By seeking counsel and receiving counsel, you've made a way for him to come in and begin to counsel you and talk to you and direct your lives. Because that's what he wants to do. But this is the reason why so many of us have trust issues with the Lord Jesus. There is something else that we trust more than the Lord. There is something else that we, that we trust to satisfy uh, our needs, to, to, to satisfy our provisions, to, to satisfy, to, to seek whatever it is that we need. We seek other avenues and other sources, but yet don't seek the Lord. But only God can provide the protection that you need. Only God can provide the, the, the security. Only God can provide all that you need in life. But are we willing to give him the right of way into our lives? Are we willing to surrender our lives, our trust? Are we willing to, to lay down our lives and place our very lives into his hands 
trusting that God is going to take care of us, trusting that God is going to walk with us, trusting that God is going to give us good counsel. If we're going to put our trust in someone, put your trust in a sure thing. Trust in God. Because if you don't, then you would be considered a fool. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not calling you a fool. I'm just simply telling you what the Bible says. Proverbs 28 verse 26 says this. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. I didn't write that. But it takes faith to surrender to God. Abraham had faith that he was willing to surrender his trust and his very life and his family when God called him out to another land. Abraham trusted God when he told him that I want his son and to, to be able to sacrifice his son as, as a burnt offering. He trusted God. Jesus trusted God with his own life. Faith surrenders the best to God, holding nothing back, which leads to great rewards, which is what I want to end tonight. Surrendering to God always reap great rewards. Go to Matthew chapter 16, beginning verse 24. Surrendering our lives to God is not a one-time experience, but is a daily experience. Every day we must choose to surrender and, and give God the right of way into our lives. But when we do it, there are great rewards. <clears throat> in Matthew 16 and verse 24, Jesus says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We see here that Jesus describes as part of the process of following him to deny yourself or to die to self. To deny yourself means that you've abdicated the throne of your life and allowed Jesus to step in to your throne, making him Lord, which is rightfully his. Then it goes on in verse 25, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life or gives up his life or renounces his life or hands over his life to the Lord, for he says, for my sake, they will find it. For what profit is a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Only when we surrender our lives to the Lord will we find the fullness of life. There is no other life than the life that only God can provide. Jesus, only says, uh, Jesus not only says to deny yourself, but he says to take up your cross, which means it's going to cost you something. And I think that's where so many of us are afraid. We want to submit, we want to surrender, but if it's going to cost us something, if it's going to be a painful experience, we don't want to do it. But oh, if you don't do it, look at what you're missing. You're missing the fullness of life. You're missing the blessings of life. You are missing the great reward that God has provided. Look at, uh, I want you to go to Matthew, I mean Mark chapter 10 as I get ready to close. Mark 10 and verse 29. This is a very important passage of scripture and it's also a very special one to me because this was the verse that helped change the course of my life. 
This was the verse that helped me or gave me the courage to make some very important decisions in my life. There were things I needed to let go. There were things that I needed to part ways with. There were things that I needed to give up and let go. And, and, and I couldn't do it until I saw this, until I read this. It goes on in verse 29. Jesus said, truly I tell you, there is no one who has given up or renounced or left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospels. Verse 30. Who will not receive a hundred times as much now in this time houses, brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus says no one has ever given up or renounced or stepped down or let go or handed over or parted ways with the very thing that they love the most without receiving something in return, without receiving a blessing. And it says receiving a hundred times more. Jesus was simply saying this, that the earthly rewards, the benefit that we will receive now in this time will far outweigh the sacrifices that we make to him, will far outweigh the very things that we give up. Now, I know this for a fact because it happened to me. I gave up something that I thought I would never get back. But what I didn't realize is that when you learn to surrender everything to God, Trusting in him. God has something greater. And something far better. Than the thing that you wanted to give up. That you won't give up. Keep in mind that God already has something in place for you. But he's waiting for you to let some things go. God can't step in and replace those things. With something far greater. If you're willing to still hold on to it. When we hold on to something. Because we think it's of great value. When we hold on to something because we, it, it's important to us. But when God says, I want you to give it up. Know that when God is asking to give up, it's because he's waiting to give you something better. He's willing to replace with something that is of greater value. Something that is a hundred times more than the very thing that you're not willing to sacrifice. He says he will give us rewards. That will compensate many times over all that was given up for the Lord's sake. I like Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Where Jesus says, give and it shall be given unto you. It's a principle. The Bible says, you reap what you sow. Well, the Bible says if you give, it will be given to you. Now, of course, he was talking about giving money and, and, and things for other people. But giving means giving up something. When you give, you're releasing or relinquishing something. When you give, you're letting it go. He says, give. And it shall be given back to you. Good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together so that you can make room for more. And running over shall God cause men to give unto your bosom. That's a principle that God is always willing to give. That God is always willing to operate. But won't you trust him to be willing to give up everything? To have this attitude that nothing else matters 
And nothing is of greater value than the Lord Jesus himself. Because Jesus is our everything. Let me close with these words. Surrendering to God and giving him the right of way helps us to let go of whatever has been holding us back from God's best for our lives. When you withhold some things that God is telling you to give up, what you're simply doing is you're stopping the blessings of God. You're stopping the very best that God has for you. Someone once says that God always gives his best to those who leave the choice with him. And giving God the right of way is our way of leaving the choice with God. So let me leave you with this last statement. Make a choice. Let me encourage you. Make a choice today to give God the right of way into your lives. Think back of what God has been telling you to give up. And trust him enough to relinquish it and let it go. Step down from your throne of your life. And let God step in and sit at that throne. And let him rule over your life. Let him guide your life. Trust him enough to surrender everything, including yourself. Because the greatest thing, the most important thing that God ever desires from every one of us is not our possessions, not our money, but us, you, yourselves. That's what's most valuable to God. That is what's most desirable for God. It's if you're willing to give yourself. And if you give yourself, and if he has you, he has everything else that you have and everything else that you own. But God wants to give you a hundred times more when you're willing to surrender. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us the courage and to build up our trust to give up everything so that, Lord, when you come to us and speak to our hearts and tell us there are certain things in our lives that we need to let go, Lord, that we will not think twice about it, but we'll give it up. We'll surrender it to you. We'll lay it down at your feet and say, I and all that I have are yours. Father, we thank you, Lord. As we commit our lives to you this day, we are making this declaration tonight. All that are here tonight, Lord, all those that are watching by live stream, we are making this commitment tonight to give all to you. To give you the right of way into our lives. To guide us. To lead us. To teach us. To counsel us. And to be a blessing to us. Lord we thank you for removing anything that have hindered you from, from, from us. Hindered us from receiving your very best. Remove every obstacle in our lives that are, that are stopping the flow of blessings. And Lord, we thank you right now that everything that had a hold on us no longer has a hold on us. We've let it go. We parted ways. We handed it over and we've renounced it. The only thing, Lord God, that we want controlling our lives is you. And Lord, I thank you 
I pray for all those that are listening here tonight, Lord God. I trust that you spoke to every one of them, met them right where they are, and revealed yourself to them, Lord God, and pointed some things out in their lives. And I pray, Father, that they all come to a place where they're saying, I and all that I have are yours, Lord. Thank you for speaking to this message to us very loudly and very clearly. Thank you for showing us what we need to do. And look for this, we thank you. We honor you this night. And we give you all glory and praise in your precious son's name we pray. All of God's people say, amen and amen.